Schnauzer ukulele mix, very cool. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, she's a cutie. I like it. How's a uh, how's your how's your quarantine going? You know, I mean, I've got a six year old, so I get to play the role of working dad, um, podcaster, nice. and teacher. Yeah. And how's the sp- okay? What's the te- yeah? Give me the lowdown on the teaching. What are you teaching? <laughs> How are you teaching it? <laughs> I um, I'm teaching um. My daughter, uh, let's see, how are we doing this? We are, we're doing all, I do science, uh, math, but I try to make it as fun as possible. So when we do science, I will just do, um, let me see. You just light things Yesterday, on fire. Yeah, I mean, I will. Like, like we had, we did the Mentos and the sodas, um, sure. but you know, sure. uh, baking soda versus citric acid and what that does and what that means. And, um, and then, uh, Let's see. Today we're gonna make crystals. Although she's pretty funny because she's like, "That's gonna take ten minutes. That's a pretty long time." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Dad. My schedule pretty packed. I got a lot of packed. prior engagements. I have. To, I have That's to, right. I, have to, <laughs> I just discovered what Mentos does to soda, so I'm gonna be. I'm booked up for the next at least two weeks. Oh yeah, she is. She is fired up and ready to go now. So now all of her our little friends come over, and now I'm like the science. I'm the I'm the bad science teacher for three or four kids, which is great. <laughs> That's great. Good. Yeah, you're growing. You're growing your a flock. I believe is what it's called. I'm gonna start a cult soon. A I think it's, I think this is the time when you start the cult. You bring them in online, and then you're like, guess what? In a month, we're all gonna hug. And they're gonna, yeah. people are going to lose their minds. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what. I mean, I know divorce rates are going up like crazy, but I wonder about. I wonder if there's if there's going to be a, a surgeons a surgeons and cults. Ooh, what'd you open? What'd you open mm. there? What do you got? I opened I opened a beer. What kind? Uh, today I am uh, doing Pacifico because it is a hot muggy day, and I just finished a fifteen mile bike ride. So, oh wow! So you're gonna hydrate with a beer for sure. It makes sense, um, you know, Absolutely. when you're in, when you are a, and I can call myself this, a hillbilly from Montana. All of it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice! Did you grow up? Did you grow up uh, farming or like uh, trailer hillbillying? A little bit of both. My grandfather nice. owned a ranch. Uh-huh. I was t- it was funny. I was talking to a friend about this when I was my daughter's age, maybe a year older. So she's six. I was like seven years old. I'd go to the mm-hmm. ranch with my grandfather. He'd hand me a fishing pole, a tackle box, and then a sandwich. And he'd be like, all right, see you in eight hours. (laughs) (laughs) 
And you're in the middle of nowhere. There's there's mountain lions, there's wolves, there's bears, there's rattlesnakes everywhere in eastern Montana. Sure, sure. And it's me by myself with a fish. I'm like, I, I caught 10 trout. And he's like, oh, I guess we're eating tonight. Good job. You know, we <laughs> drive back and see my grandmother. And she's like, how was your day? And I was like, well, I mean, I hung out by the beaver dam. And a beaver chased me for a little bit. And I saw a couple of snakes. And I mean, it was just, and I don't let my kid cross the road if I'm right. not watching. Your grandma asked you how your day was, and you were like, I, I guess I went to work. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I got us food. I, don't, I found dinner. More importantly, how I got there. So my parents lived four and a half hours away, and they wouldn't drive me the four and a half hours to spend two weeks with grandma and grandpa. They would put me on, by myself on a Greyhound bus. Ugh. Ugh. This is the late 70s, early 80s, when sure. all the cool people rode buses. Sure, definitely. For sure. There's lots of so many beards, a lot of smells, I imagine. Uh, oh. I imagine there are a lot of bags that are made out of things that weren't bags before they became bags. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's just, they always like, just sit up front by the bus driver. Like, that's the safest person I can be close to. <laughs> and I would stop. The bus at driver bus just stops. became a babysitter. That isn't. He did. Why. He's just. <laughs> Just like, I'm sorry. Hey, guys, hard time out. Hard time out. What's going on? Really? I have a new job now. Now there's another responsibility that I have apart from just getting this giant machinery to another place. Okay, sure. It is the best. It is the best. So one of the things, thank you very much. Before we get too down the rabbit holes for everyone. um, Oh, and I I was going to pull this up for you because I thought this is hilarious. I've Mm -hmm. I've been doing this with guests. just so you have an idea of who's listening, our top nine countries are the U.S., Canada, Great. Great. France, Finland, oh, oui. the very popular Oman, United Kingdom, Singapore, Ireland, and the Philippines. Wow. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> really? Okay, do you have like the number? Do they just give you the top countries or do they give you the number of downloads in those countries? Then they... Then they give me the number of downloads in those countries. And we do about three, 350 downloads a day. Wow. It's not bad. Listen, congr- for a guy who all, just drinks first of all, congratulations. and talks to people. Oh, thanks. First of all, congratulations. <laughs> uh, I, do, I do wonder what the Sing- Singapore market is going to be like uh, as far as, you know, just like sales and general growth potential. But I, pretty great. Pretty great to be. That's widespread. It's not, yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I, I don't know. I, I've never done advertising, um, you know, nothing like that. We just, I just started this for fun. I thought it'd be interesting, uh, a concept where it's like there's a movie playing silently in the background or you just know it so well, you just, you know, it's on. And there was always those times we just, I'd be on my patio with my friends and we'd have a movie on. Mm-hmm. And then someone would stop the conversation, like, this is my favorite part. And that would lead to a story. And that would lead to a story. Uh. And then everything would stop. And here's another part. So now, before I get down to all this craziness, where can people find you on social media? The fans of Oman, 1.7 million of them, locked down for the next 10 days. Yeah, where can well, they find you? listen, I got, I got plenty of content for you. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just uh, Whitney, Whitney Chitwood. Uh, last name is spelled like Shitwood, but with a C. Um, and it's just like uh, Whit, Whit Chitwood on Instagram. And then if you just Google Whitney Chitwood, I'm the only one who, who does anything massively public so i'm pretty easy to find I have an album out that you can find on all the all the things itunes amazon and everything amazon and all yep. those. yeah 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 so i'm out there just whitney chitwood just google me 
You'll find her. I like it. Promise. I like it. I like it. Um, what I, I love that you chose this movie. I'm I'm very honored that you're on with me, and I really do mean that because I've got a daughter. So, anytime I get the opportunity to talk with a successful, driven woman, and then in the background is a movie playing a successful, driven woman and an ass kicker. Um, it's great because. I, you know, I, at some point, right, my daughter's going to look back on all the crazy stuff that I've done and that, you know, it opens up with her the first time she took a shit by herself and she looked up at me and her hair's a mess. And she looks, she goes, Dad, I pooped a big one. Oh, God. Oh, what a cutie. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. But it's, but it's oh. for, you know, but I'm a guy and, and I'm this, you know, I'm this country bumpkin from Montana and I've got this great daughter who's got this beautiful vocabulary and wide range of emotions and i'm like all right anytime i can talk to a successful woman that i that she Aww. can listen to all the dumb shit down the road of my life she'll be able to pick out some <laughs> of these interviews and be like okay there's thanks dad that meant something. well hey listen i'm happy i'm happy to be an inspiration for your daughter i'm happy to be an inspiration for women everywhere honestly because i've blazed a trail i've worked hard and i just want to thank all of the people who helped me get here <laughs> no that's i i joke but that's honestly that means a lot that really is that's no uh, i mean that's super cool means a lot to me as well it was um she came to me the other day this is probably uh, maybe the other day like six months ago because she was in school and she tells me she's your little friend. She goes, Dad, I'm going to marry, and names this little girl's name, Ollie. I go, mm -hmm. what? I go, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Her mom is, uh, is um, a detective uh, here at the Austin Police Department, and she's Irish. And she is one drink away from either a half-hour sitcom or a full-on one-hour drama. I mean, uh, she's, she's riding the lane, right? Amazing. And she's just, you can tell, tough as nails, fresh off the boat from Ireland, bright red hair. She's the best. And I text her mom and I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know, I guess our daughters are getting married. You know what this means? And she's like, well, we're going to be drinking a lot together. And I go, well, that's the bonus. I go, but <laughs> we've, we've completely removed dicks out of the picture. And I'm so excited. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> I was just like, thank you. And then she comes back the next week. She goes, I don't know who I want to marry now. And I go, that's okay too, kid. Uh, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, listen, it's hard. It's hard to decide sometimes. <laughs> You're six. <laughs> and look, yeah, you got she got plenty of time. You got plenty of time to figure out what you know what your yum is. And you don't want to yuck anyone's yum. You know, who knows? Who knows what yeah. who knows what'll what'll float her boat. And honestly, as, she's as six, a, so I can say what will float her boat is uh not the same that will <laughs> in yeah. four days. <laughs> so true. Hey, can you get me this? No, why not? Because in four days you're gonna want something different. All right, she doesn't fair. Yeah. Fair point. Works out perfect. Fair it point, father. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into as it, the movie's kicking off? They're in space. We haven't got to the exciting stuff yet. But how did you get into stand-up? Can you tell a little backstory, please, for Yeah, the, the I got into uh, here. I'm gonna start the movie. I'm gonna start the movie too. Um, Sweet. So then we, we just both have the vibes going. Um I got into I got into stand-up because I used to do oh god, the preview's loud. Um I I used to do musical theater. Both my parents had theaters, so I split my time growing up on on the farm or then in one of my parents' theaters. Um, and so I grew up doing that. My first show, I was like six months. And I did musical theater for like 
for them until I was like 20, I think. Like I went out, I moved out to New York and did it professionally out there for a long time and toured with some musicals. And um, then at about like 21, I was just drinking a lot and doing uh, uh, doing uh, uh, things that wouldn't be uh, role model-y for your daughter. <laughs> and <laughs> and I was just so bu- I was bummed out about theater and I didn't know why and I figured out it was just because of the lack of control kind of because you were doing mm-hmm. like I was singing and dancing and that was fun but it was like someone was telling me what to do and what to say and how to sing and where to stand and all that shit and so then I tried directing and I didn't like that because then you were directing someone else's. It was just all, this is all very masturbatory and artistically. Long story short, I got sick of musical theater and wanted to still perform. And I felt like stand up was something I always wanted to do and always wanted to try. And I just gave it a shot. And uh, here we are now. Here you are now. And you're seven basically, years you later. perform Eight seven years, years later. later. Um, yeah. So. My understanding of, of stand-up from a couple of my friends that, that do it, right? You start local, go mm-hmm. to the clubs. You mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just, your name is on a list, and if they have enough time, you're on there. And if they don't, you come back the next day. And it's, it's, it is about pushing the proverbial rock up a very, very big hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, lots of pay, it, lots of money in the beginning. Oh God, there's so much money. That, I mean, they it's it's insane. I've bought I've bought six new cars. That was and that was just in the open mic days. You know, See? it's so much money. I <laughs> yeah, I started well. I started doing open mics in New York, and those were pay like the ones I would go to. You had to pay to do them. So like it cost me money to do them. And then I was in a relationship at the time and we were going to move out to LA. And so we stopped halfway in between and stayed with my folks for about a year um, until I went through a break until we broke up and I was doing comedy like in my, near my hometown. And then I ended up just going out to LA on my own after only doing comedy for two and a half years, maybe three, not even three years. Went out to LA and I was like, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna, I'm, I got it. I'm gonna make it for sure. And I showed up and I didn't make it. I did uh, go broke, and then I moved back in with my folks, and then really like started pounding the pavement and going on tour and going up to Chicago and coming back down, and then like finally felt established in Chicago after a couple years, and then moved up there. And so, like now, oh. it's good. Now it's now yeah. it's very now. I'm very lucky. I'm super, uh, I'm super blessed. I'm so I'm so blessed. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. But people I am see really you on lucky. stage, and I don't think they know that. Like I don't. I think people the idea of where people live, right? And you can took this take this to Alien or whatever. But they don't just. They're not just in space. Like there's all these things that happen. Some of it creates comedy. Some of it creates tragedy. But the road is not paved. It's not easy going. It's not the, okay, I graduated from college. I worked at Hertz for a year. And then um, I went to a happy hour mixer. And I met Bob. And Bob hired me on at the bank. And I worked from 9 to 5. And I've got a 401. And it's just, you know, I'm not saying that those jobs are easy or hard. But 
the difference in just that snapshot of your story, it, it, it should let people know you've been doing it for seven years and they weren't seven glorious years, but it was the idea that you found something that you loved. Oh yeah. And they didn't, they didn't get good until probably, and probably like really everything got in a place that I felt yummy about like two years ago. And there's still, I have, I have not accomplished. I've barely accomplished anything. I'm very happy with what I've done. I feel super lucky. Uh, and I feel, um, and I feel really excited about comedy still. And I feel really excited about all the stuff surrounding it. But like the last two years, I've been like two and a half years. I've been like able to be, you know, like almost completely financially independent just with comedy. And then, uh, like, go on tour and release an album and get to work with and meet so many great, great, great people. That's the best part about it. That's the whole, that's the whole, the whole thing. Like in a perfect world, in my mind, I would be at a place where I could just like give people things. I could be like, yeah, you meet this person and then you make a television show with this person and you go work this club. And like, that's the dream. That's, that would be mm, chef's kiss. That would be perfect. You know? The ultimate in dot connecting, right? Seeing disparate systems and looking at them or disparate people and saying, no, if you just go over here and connect over here, trust me, things are going to happen. Yeah. And, but just be yourselves. Don't try to impress one another. Just be you and go do you. But if you guys go do you together, you're going to make some magic. Yeah, you're going to do you. You're going to do yous. Very good. You're going to you. You're going to you together and <laughs> use use guys. It's going to be good. Now, will you ever go back to L.A. or is L.A. like you're like, nah. It's not my thing. Oh, it. Um, a lot of my buddies are out there. I have a lot of friends. Out, not to brag, I have a lot of friends, and you have a lot of friends. I, I'm very popular. No, but all of the people, a lot of the people that I really, really care about or know really well in comedy live in LA, and so that's for sure drawing me out there. But I love Chicago. Chicago is a super great comedy scene, and I have so many people who like. I care about and who are wonderful and who are like all of my closest friends are there. And then, you know, work wise, everybody's out in LA, but, um, yeah, well, I, I just got right before we all went in, but right before we all went into, uh, into quarantine or, I mean, watching Ailey right before we all went into a uh, hypersleep afraid of the face hugger. That is the coronavirus. <laughs> I, I was on tour for about a month and a half um and spent spent like a week nine days out in LA um to do work and things and I still love it like the weather is great you can't beat the weather um I don't know I would I would go back I guess I wish that I wish that things I wish that big things could happen in Chicago big things can happen in Chicago but they just don't yet you know yeah, no, I know. I, I used to live in LA and um, uh, my, my wife is from Kentucky and I'm from Montana and we're here in Austin, Texas. And we went out, my boss, I, I work for a company out there. So I just commute uh, once a month. I'm gone for about a week and the rest of the time I just work from home. And I, would, I, I brought her and my daughter out and we go to Disneyland one day and see the ocean and all those fun things. Mm-hmm. We're in a Laguna Beach and we're walking down. And this is the only place where I've ever been where the real estate 
the pictures of the houses are small, but the price tag is like, you know, 50 font. Cause they don't, they don't want anyone kicking tires. They're like, listen, asshole, it's a $4 million house. It's 1200 square feet. It's an up and down. It's not spread out. There's no garage street parking. If you're lucky and do you want it? Cause I got four, I got four bidders right now. So did, don't kick the tires. Yeah. So we were walking around and we, she sees, she's like, Oh honey, let's look at this house over here. Uh, that this uh, real estate office. I'm like, okay. She goes, all right, well, 2000 square feet. That's ours. It doesn't have a pool, but that's okay. Okay, only one garage, but still, it's so beautiful here. Oh, it's $2.4 million. We're never coming back here ever oh, again. Jesus. <laughs> and I was oh. just like, babe, it's, it's the cost of, uh, you know, it's, it's the barrier to entry here. Uh, this is a hard place to live. And, you know, but there are, there are great pros. I like yourself. I have, I, I have not many. I have a couple of good friends there. I got some, you know, I know some good people there and I'm, I'm well networked in that area, uh, but it's a um, it can be a hard place to live as well. It's it's a unique place with so much opportunity, but with every opportunity, there are two or three pitfalls that go alongside it. Oh sure, sure, no question. And I don't, well, I don't know. I, I really always come back to the I come back to the weather because the weather is so good, and I get annoying. Um, listen, I'm very unique. I get a seasonal depression. So like I suffer from seasonal effectiveness disorder. Do you get the, did you get the light? Do you get the blue light or whatever it is? Oh, I get. My oh, dad suffers from no. that. Oh, really? I don't know that mine. Yeah. Mine's never been diagnosed. I feel like I'm someone who's like, I have ADD only. I do, but I do get super sad when it's rainy <laughs> and like when it's cold <laughs> and dark, I have a tough time. Chicago winters are emotionally tough for me. That's why I went on tour this year was to get away from, was to get away from Chicago winter. But now your dad me, has the yeah. blue light. He got the UV. Yeah. So thing. he was, he lived in Portland, Oregon Ugh. for just too many years. I lived there for a couple of years. I never noticed the rain. It could be oh. all the drinking. Who knows? But my I car just, got you know, broken I just don't into notice in stuff. Portland, Oregon. It, car, a lot, will, a lot of stuff was, will get broken into a uh, No one told me, and all of many of my things got stolen. <laughs> yeah, Portland's a rough town. Everyone's like, it's so pretty. It's a green oasis. I was like, eh, just hang out for a couple days. Wait yeah. till the lights go out. <laughs> it gets real sketchy. We used to, I mean, I bartended there, and I would be hanging out, relaxing, and uh, we would have these kids sitting outside. Hey, when you come out, we're going to rob you for your tip money. That's what they tell the bouncer before, um, you know. Yeah, and I was uh, just like, oh, this is a sweet neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least they warned you, I guess. I guess yeah. at least like, they, uh, at least you knew what was to come. I mean, spoiler alert, honestly. Let's, let's be yeah. serious. There was, there was one, the one great thing about working at the bar, there was this guy. So we had, Portland is uh, like Austin and, and LA and I'm, uh, I never saw it in Chicago. Maybe it's the weather. Uh, I never saw a lot of homeless people in Chicago every time I've been there. Um, mm. Not saying there aren't. It could have been the wrong neighborhood. I got into one bad neighborhood one time, and the bartender was so nice to me. I was just walking around like a moron. <laughs> and I see this sign. It's like rolling rocks, uh, a box of rocks for six bucks. So a pail of, you know, a dollar for a rolling rock. And I was like, oh, it's fantastic. I go to open up the door. And it's locked. But I see the open sign. And then I hear a buzz. So it opens. And it closes right behind me. And then the other one buzzes. And I walk in. 
And the guy's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, just wanted to have a beer. He's like, no, what are you doing? I said, I'm just walking around. I want to have a beer. He goes, you're walking around. I'm like, yeah. And I, I'm, well, I'm a 6'2", 205 pounds now. At the time, I was same height, 320 pounds, bald with a red goatee. <laughs> just, just this doughy, doughy pale kid from Montana, just not knowing what he's just a, the guy's just a big like, old sweet boy. Yeah, they're like, I just, I just want some deep dish pizza and I, oh I, the, the, the sign <laughs> beer. Uh, and he goes, he hands me a beer and he goes, don't pull your wallet out. This is on me. I've called you a cab. When it gets here, you're going to walk right out and get in that cab and you're going to ask them to take you to, and I forget where, some other neighborhood. I was like, okay. And he goes, I never want to see you here again. I was like, customer service is exceptional. <laughs> oh yeah, but their retention rate—it's got to be so, got to be so low. Return <laughs> customer rate is uh... just so weird, so weird. Oh man, I but, you know, it was... Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. I so when I when I was living in New York, I I moved out to this place in New Jersey for a little when I was on the East Coast, this place called Asbury Park, which is um, like Bruce Springsteen started there, which is the big claim to fame of Asbury Park. Um, it's like the gay Jersey Shore, basically. It's it's all it's mostly gay people who have like moved back in to Asbury and like refurbished it. And it's like a super bustling, artsy kind of town now. And I worked I managed this restaurant that was on the that was on the beach. Um, and it was like, it was like three restaurants connected to each other. It was all the same. It was like the same owner and it was like a, uh, like a world fair sit down dining restaurant, then a, then a lobster shack and then a surf shop. And then, uh, vaguely like a, like a Mexican restaurant. Um, and I, and I be, I started working there cause my girlfriend at the time worked there. And so I started serving. And then after two months of working there was promoted to manager because we were learning to surf. The owner was teaching us how to surf. And I stood up on the surfboard first and she was like, Whitney, I think I want you to manage. I was like, this is, <laughs> what? This was a test. The whole, I just wanted to ride. I just wanted to catch some sweet waves, man. All right. Well, no, I'm a manager of a restaurant, and you caught the sweet waves of management. Fantastic. Yeah, the sweet waves of management, and I had it was my first time ever waiting any table, and I was managing the place in two months, which was insane. But we had um, there would be there there was like a large, a pretty large homeless population in Asbury because uh, because what it's uh, it's a whole long history the moral of the story is there was a large homeless population in asbury um and but the philosophy of the restaurant was always if someone comes in who like doesn't you know who, someone comes in who looks homeless essentially which who knows you know what does homelessness look like all kinds of different things but if someone comes in who looks homeless it's like you you feed them you don't kick them out you in fact, we usually like would offer them a job. We'd be like, "Hey, do you need to work? Come on, get in the kitchen, uh, do some dishes, and we'll give you a job." And that was just the coolest atmosphere to be in in regards to homelessness. And it wasn't a huge; it wasn't like a Chicago-sized population. It wasn't a Los Angeles population, but it was, you know, it was pretty. I, it felt revolutionary to be a part of it. That's very cool. I like that. That's a. We did. Um, 
we would with the the, the bitter end off of 19th and Burnside in Portland, Oregon. I bartended there and the homeless population there was a little aggressive, but you know, we would give them food and stuff like that. But this one guy would come in once a week, maybe twice a week. And his name was Big Time. And Big Time, I loved him because he'd tell you stories. Ugh. And none of it was true, but they were the best stories because <laughs> they were so outlandish that you just, you're, you're, I mean, he'd come in like, hey, Jathan, what's happening, brother? I'm like, what's happening, Big Time? Jathan, excuse me, but I went to the Marriott Hotels, you know, the hotel chain that I own. And well, Jathan, oh. they would not give me my paycheck. So I was wondering, could I have a Budweiser? I'm like, sure, big time. You're Budweiser. And then every time he'd come in, I'd put on the jukebox, sitting on the dock of the bay, because he loved that song. Sure. Gotta but he would Otis. not whistle. He wouldn't whistle along. And the reason, Dathan, do you hear that whistling? That is actually me. See, what happened was, if I was a bus driver, and then I was in San Francisco one day, because I took a wrong turn, and I ran into Otis Redding. And he said, you are quite a whistler. And I said, thank you, Otis. And he said, would you like to whistle on a song if you promise never to whistle again? And I said, yes, oh. Otis, I would. That sounds like a, sounds like a grim fairy tale. That sounds like that one. <laughs> and then he would just look at you and be like, excuse me, but I have seemed to have drank all my Budweiser. Jason, could I have another Budweiser? Yeah, sure, big time. Here you go. Now, Jason, did you know that when I was a bus driver, and I would drive for sometimes 36 to 38 hours a day, a very long bus trip, that I met the most, the most interesting people. And that is how I started the Marriott Hotel. Could I have another Budweiser? Oh, God. This <laughs> would just Oh, big go. time. <laughs> and he would just come in, and he'd have two. I'd, give, I'd pay for him. I'd give two Budweisers. He'd be like, this is very kind of you. Now I need to go out and see if I can stop driving my buses again, which they have stopped me from doing. I go, big time. Could it be the beer you drink? <laughs> no, Jason. I've always drank beer and driven buses. That is how I stay awake for so long. But all right, big time. I love you, brother. Be good. Uh, yeah, when you're, I feel like the people who are regular, I don't know what bar has regulars that are just uh, average people. Like someone who's a regular at a bar is not an average person. I don't, I don't think. Because usually a regular at a bar is someone who goes alone and sits and then has a conversation with the bartender when i when i was bartending at one point there was this dude who would come in all the time um and he he started it was a lot of problem solving you know as a bartender you solve so many people's problems and he was talking about i I was having trouble with his new job and he was like i'm having i'm having a lot of money trouble right now and i was like oh no i'm I'm sorry you know and he goes and you know it all started back in the it really like my money trouble started back in the 80s I was uh, I was working for this company and, you know, everybody called it a pyramid scheme and it wasn't a pyramid scheme because, listen, what we would do. So I was like I got hired. I got hired and then became a manager. And then I had to find three people to manage. The company was called Amway. I what happened? It wasn't a pyramid scheme. It was I got hired with two other people. 
by someone. And then we each hired three other people. And then those three people, well, nine, because us three got three, then they would hire three other people. And then I watched him explain a pyramid scheme to me and realize in real time that he was part of a pyramid scheme. Uh, <laughs> oh, arguably oh. the most famous pyramid scheme. The, the scheme that started pyramid schemes, you know, the, the OG scheme. Uh, and he, like, Just put it on paper. So there's one of you at the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that we're going to branch out. Are you sure you want to branch out like this? Mm-hmm. Okay. No lateral now. moves. You don't hire anyone in the same level. No, no, they're always under. Okay, for sure. Keep going. Go ahead. No, and you all built keep each going. other up. Mm-hmm. What would you call this? Well, obviously, it's a triangle screen because it's two dimensional. <laughs> yeah, that was that Trying was a, that was a pretty big joy. Wow, that's awesome. I love MLMs. They're my favorite. The coffee shops and bars everywhere. There's always someone, or you get the uh, the friend. Like I have a friend, um, and he has a he has a son who gets on Instagram all the time. He's like, "Dude, will you just follow my son, please?" I'm like, Shh, "Okay." He just needs followers. I'm like, "Oh, that's so weird, but yeah, sure." He's like, "All right, guys, I know what you're thinking. How do I get more whey protein? Well, let me tell you, it's expensive, but not with me. And if you bring two friends with you, I'm gonna give you a better deal." Oh, and he's God. doing it while he's doing like bicep curls and all this weird shit. And I'm just like, mm, is he in an MLM? My buddy's like, dude, he's in. He just doesn't know what he wants to do. And he lives at home and he's shooting these videos like 20 times a day in the basement while he's lifting weights and just free basing, you know, whatever. <laughs> fucking yeah, protein he's, shake he's, he's, bur- he's burning uh, creatine in a spoon and huffing it. Just getting at any way you can. If you tried it this way, it's amazing. Tastes like cotton candy in your mouth. Put it oh, in your what? ass, and then you do six squats, and it goes further in. It goes further in. The ass is a really absorbent area. I don't know if you know that. Cindy Lauper. I does. do. Cindy Lauper. <laughs> it is the MLM, man, the, the, the pyramid. And they're like, if we don't call it pyramid, we call it multi level marketing. It's, uh, yeah. It's it's a surefire way of, of, of finding the the most well intentioned people who all of a sudden realize they're so deep into it that they're just fucked. Oh, it's cra- well, that's like what happened with what was that multi level marketing slash cult? Oh shit! What was the name of it? There, there were just a bunch there was of one that was like a cult. A, yeah, a couple years ago. Nexium. Nexium, yeah. <laughs> the, the the feel good. And by the way, ladies, only one person can have sex with you. Oh, is it God. weird? Crazy. I'm a big fan of the. I'm a big fan of the dollop because I, I like those guys, and they they've made a very good point to me over the last couple of years. White guys really just start these problems. Oh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no. There, I had a friend who who became who was in a really bad spot at one point and was very close to joining what he identified as a commune um but looking at their what they had a website and it was clearly a cult and it was actually that was run according to the website the highest highest person was a woman um my favorite tidbit of information from whatever that cult was i forget what it was called um but my favorite tidbit of information from it was one of the rules was if you were riding a motorcycle, you had to be masturbating while you were riding the motorcycle. And those were the <laughs> rules. These are the rules of the really? cult. If you're driving a motorcycle, you have to also be masturbating. 
I don't know. They're they just didn't... standing out of Masturbators Anonymous going, hmm? <laughs> hey. Yeah, also, who's checking? Is there, do they fly like drone cameras to what? Be like, ah, hey, uh, Michael, not not jacking off while you're driving that motorcycle. You got to get off the motorcycle. You're out of the car. Michael, you got both hands on the wheel. You're Sorry, buddy, you're out. <laughs> You've got to have faith in the right or the left hand. You know what I'm saying, Michael? Come on, man. <laughs> Nexium just a Nexium lot of people my, Nexium was my obsession last year. I there was there there was a podcast called Escaping Nexium that was just uh num 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 so good, just brilliant, brilliant. The dude interviewed his like grade school friend who had ended up joining it, and all of the people in Nexium were like struggling actors. That's all they did is they just got struggling actors. They were like, hey, you want to. You want to book more jobs? Like, do you want to have an agent who gets you jobs? Or do you want to be the person who gets your own jobs? Which is like, that isn't how the industry works. But sure, fine. But then uh, it was just all like <laughs> out-of-work actors, very hot out-of-work actors who could probably couldn't act. I mean, the one person, who was the the person from Smallville? Who was the, yeah. like, was her name? She's, I don't know, but, and I'm not, you know. Not that I could be on a television show or should, but I mean, yeah, I was just like, no, Whoa. hey, hey, you could, hey, hey, come on, hey, <laughs> hey, chin up, hey, chin up, you can do this you if you're in the right it. cult. <laughs> they're like, they're, they're taking get, all the things. You could be on TV if you just if you just join my uh, executive training program. Don't worry, you could do it. You do it. Gosh, you know what? I'll tell you what, we're going to stop right now. Little town, it's your turn into called Negativeville. You're going to make a right hand turn right out of there, champ. Okay? Are you on a motorcycle? That, that or are you masturbating? <laughs> yeah. You got to jerk off when you're being positive. All right? This is not self deprecating. Okay? It's you got to build yourself self satisfying. That's right. Listen, you're your own masturbatorial clickbait. Okay? You put it out there, it's going to come right back to you. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> Oh, uh, clickbait is Any? what masturbating with a vulva is like. <laughs> I just <laughs> anytime one of my friends puts on LinkedIn an award they won, every time I type in "nice masturbatorial clickbait" you got going on there. Wait, I'll put, get a pro- you can put awards on LinkedIn. What are the awards? Oh, yeah. What are the awards? Oh, like better, oh, like, get, like thirty under thirty, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's like PR person of the month, bro. I'm like, okay. That's a horrible fucking award to get, and I'm sure your mom's proud of you. But also, I'll just put that, and it's like, hey, man, this is LinkedIn. I don't think masturbation jokes are funny on LinkedIn. <laughs> put it on Instagram, asshole. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. What are the parameters to be PR person of the month, too? It's like PR person of the month where? Where? Just in your in the uh, 309 area code? Is that where? Yeah. We'll be like, I just received an award. I'm like, really, for what? Uh, well, there's this website called Quoted, and they highlight a PR person every month. And then what they do is they really just, they really highlight what I do that's different from other people. I'm like, oh, what do you do that's different? I email websites like, that put up, yeah. that highlight people who are different <laughs> than other people. <laughs> we got, I remember, we got, uh, there was uh, some, Australian, and I don't know why, because I mean, I guess we do views in Australia. I don't know, but um, I got something where there's like, "Hey, you're nominated for in the comedy section for the podcast awards." It's like, okay, 
And then they posted that we didn't win. And I replied back <laughs> to the person who runs it. I'm like, motherfucker, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> we, we spent tens of thousands of cents on our campaign, on our award season, <laughs> on our Australian comedy podcast award season campaign. <laughs> It was just like, you've got to be shitting me. I didn't win. <laughs> and of course, I've CC'd all of my friends on this. And now they're just berating this person. It's like, you guys, you guys, you guys, calm down. <laughs> I'm just like, this is how ridiculous I think all of this is. And oh, to God. prove it, I'm going to be overly ridiculous when I don't win. And yeah, you should, I... <laughs> if I would have won, if you didn't fly me out first class, we had some um, group, uh, we had a, a, a normally large amount of uh of downloads in Kazakhstan. What? And I don't know happen? why. I mean, I'm very excited and happy for you, but this is also <laughs> weird. <laughs> I know, right? Like you I have do. a great like podcast, a... you put out great content, you're very you're very like uh charming and relatable and it's an exciting idea and the episodes are great, but also Kazakhstan? What? What is this a friends episode? What are we <laughs> Dude, doing? It, it gets weirder. So a casino reaches out and says, hey, would you think of doing some live shows in Kazakhstan? <laughs> and I'm like, let me get back to you. <laughs> so I am, I am of the ilk that, one, I don't really like to travel anyways. I already do it for work. So my sometimes co-host is a radio DJ here in Austin for the top morning show. So I ping him and I go, hey, this group wants to bring us out to do a couple live shows. And his name is Jason as well. And Jason goes, well, what does it pay? And I'm like, they kind of left it open for us. I did zero research. Mm -hmm. I just, I replied back mm -hmm. with, we need $5,000 uh, wired into our accounts before we get on the plane. Uh, we need $1,000 in casino cash to go gamble with downstairs. We keep our winnings, but sure. uh, you get your thousand bucks back if we win over a thousand bucks. So you guys are good, right? You guys get your thousand bucks back. Um, of course, cocktails and food. And, uh, and then we fly first class over there I mean, listen you're throwing it out there like what do you want here you go i didn't yeah, realize that's... how difficult it is to get to kazakhstan <laughs> a <laughs> first class tickets the whole way there comes out to like twenty eight thousand dollars a person oh jesus <laughs> wait is it it's hard to get to kazakhstan yeah it's it's it, right in between um ireland and uh Ireland, in between um, Iran and Russia. Okay. Yeah, it's a uh, super safe area. So I reached out to a, a, a friend of mine in the military, and I just said, hey, if we do this, how much do I get to pay for the guys on the base to be my bodyguards? Mm. And <laughs> he's sure. like, you're going to need more than one. I'm like, great. <laughs> so can I hire the whole base? Is that? Uh... Yeah. Would you guys want all the money? You can just keep it. And then he goes, by the way, you know, they don't drink here. And I was like, well, now I'm not going. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's partially the point of the podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, then, it's, in goes, the, it's in the log line. <laughs> it's in the log line. And, you know, then they're like, oh, and there's rules about what you can and can't say, that you can't talk anything about religion. I'm like, all I do is make fun of religion. Like, this is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> And he's like, well, Jason, you might want to rethink this. <laughs> maybe maybe completely venue, reschedule a venue. I'm looking right now, and listen, I got a, I got a flight to Kazakhstan for, uh, I mean, it's coach, but I got, I got $1,400. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> you gotta oh, go. No, I'm not oh. even looking at Kazakh. I'm looking at uh at Zez uh at Zez Kazgan. So that's hang on, that's on me. Almaty is the capital city. There's a casino there. So let's see here. People love this. They're like, what why are you typing stuff? It looks pretty. Almaty Kazakhstan. Let's see. No, but that's the rule. Uh, so there, the rules are the rules of gigging, and you know this, I'm sure. But just in case any of your listeners don't, and I learned this from the incomparable uh, Jackie Cation, who's a hilarious comedian, very very funny, and a very good person. Uh, the rule, and she learned this from her father, who I think is an aluminum siding salesman, is nice. you never say you never say no without a number. So if you get an offer that you don't want to do, you super highball them, and then that they can't afford. They can't afford like, you know, like what you're saying, what you're highballing with, they can't afford. They 28,000 for two t- like they can't afford it. And then they yeah. come back to you and they say, "Ah, I'm sorry, we we can't afford that. Can you do can you can you, you know, go lower?" And then you say, "Uh, no, unfortunately, that's my the lowest available like price that I have. Um, please keep me in mind for uh future engagements should your budget ever increase, but do know that my prices are also increasing. <laughs> I'm always going to be just a hair out of reach. Yeah. But I want to sit you I, listen, I'm giving you goals. I'm helping your business grow actually. I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, that ha- uh, yeah. I got an I got an offer to do a gig that I really didn't really didn't want to do because it was in I won't get too specific, but it was kind of in the middle of nowhere and it was an outdoor amphitheater. And I was like, this is, I don't think you know what I do. I don't think that the people who are walking through this park on a a Sunday afternoon are going to be like, Hey, let's go listen to that lesbian. Talk about that time. She tried to apply to Hooters. Like, I don't think I'm going to (laughs) be, I'm not going to hit your demo the way you want me to. And so I was like, it will be uh, $5,000. Um, I will bring my own feature, uh, who will do a half hour before me. You'll pay them $2,000, and we need a suite at a hotel and a flight. <laughs> and flight. Done. I'm in. like, oh, wow. Uh, no. And I was like, yeah, for sure, no. Definitely. I get that, um, and I'm glad. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I just want to let you guys know. I just looked up the flight. United Airlines. Uh, I get the earliest flight time I can fly out is May, and that is a cool... $18,900. That's with one, two, that's with three stops and Jesus. a layover in Chicago of an hour. Go grab lunch. Then I've got a layover in Frankfurt for three and a half hours. Then I have a five hour layover in Moscow. It's a long, I, I leave, I would leave on Sunday, May 10th, and get, in and the, get the there next Sunday. <laughs> Tuesday, May 12th. Oh, no, too long. That's <laughs> too long. And I'm and I'm thinking about a turnaround, right? Fly out, do a couple shows, fly right back home. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, that sounds Just, like a that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> that sounds like Sigourney Weaver's trip. Like, it does. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll go to space. Sounds great. It does. And and right now, where I'm at in the movie right now, she is uh, telling everyone who's exploring the other spaceship, "What are you doing? What? It, something's going wrong. You got to get out of there. Hey, get out of there." What are you, what are you oh, doing yeah. in there, guys? Let me know when you get to the point where um, where they uh, they bring the lady back. Where they bring the lady back? Yeah, I think it's a lady. Maybe it's a guy. But they're in a onesie. 
Some of these out these space outfits. Hard to tell. Wait, what are you talking about? They in Alien, the movie Alien, the first one. Uh, the first one. Do they bring someone back, or does it someone attach to their the thing attaches to the face? Yeah. Uh, they bring the it dude. back on the ship. Yeah. It's a yeah, dude. Yeah. Bring it back on the ship. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, they're uh, yeah. they're they're coming in right now. He got they're they're cutting off his helmet. Uh, the, the face huggers Tom right Skerritt. in there. This is okay. So I watched recently. I watched a documentary called Memory, which is about the making of Alien. It's specifically about Ooh. Dan O'Bannon, the guy who wrote it. It's it focuses primarily on him. That's the writer, right, Dan? Yeah, Dan mm-hmm. O'Bannon. Um, and it and it talks about the process of getting it made and him like pitching the script around and how they wrote it and all of this. There's another movie that Dan O'Bannon made prior to Alien that he was a part of that is is Alien, basically. Like it's the same sort of story as Alien. They go to a the crew goes to a different place and then someone gets an alien in their body and then this alien in, or an alien invades the ship basically but the alien in that movie is a beach ball with uh feet <laughs> Stop. and it's yeah and it's super campy and i think he quit working on like he withdrew himself from the project pretty shortly pretty shortly before rapping because he was like this is ridiculous i want to write this is insane i want to write a sincere actual sci-fi scary and what are we making here this is this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever made <laughs> that's just like hey guys these special effects not really that special not gonna <laughs> lie to you it's like the, there was the the horror movie that came out i don't know like probably eight years ago now about the tire what <laughs> yeah there was a horror movie there's a tire that just rolled around and killed people Hold on. it was what was the name of this this was uh, horror. If I do horror movie, was it called Rubber? About about a tire. It probably was. It looks like it. Going... Yeah, it was Rubber. Yep. Jump to nav. Yeah, here we go. Rubber is a film. Spectators watch a killer car tire. Killer car tire. Because we we already saw what happened when killer cars came to life in the eighties. Sure. Let's do a car tire. Comes to life in a desert dump site. <laughs> The, flexing it's the post credit scene the post credit scene of rubber is stephen king blowing his brains out keep going he's like <laughs> yeah he's like fuck you guys all right i made horror cool and you are destroying it at every level every level but don't worry there's a girl in daisy dukes in it so there you go oh good it's the Thank worst God. it was estimated budget to make was five hundred thousand dollars and it made a cool one hundred thousand 370 US dollars. Jesus. Wait, is it is it not in English? Oh no, it is. But it's 2018. From... I thought it was much longer. Oh no, 2010. 2010. Yeah, 20 years ago. It's from, you know, visionary filmmaker Quentin DePieu. <laughs> He's like, I can't Quentin be Quentin DePue. Tarantino. No. You gotta be Quentin DePieu. Quentin DePieu. What else has he made? Oh, he made Mr. Ozio. What is that? I don't know. He's Mr. That's the first thing that comes up. Mr. Ozio. He seems like, and Quentin, I'm sorry if you're listening. You seem like the asshole that orders wine at every restaurant. He looks like uh, Jason. Oh, God. What's his name? Uh, He plays. Have you seen The Good Place? Have you watched that show at all? I don't. Uh... I have such horrible. I have such horrible taste in television. I mean, horrible taste in television. So if there's like a good drama on, I have not seen it. If there's really bad television on, 
Oh, you know what I did watch though? And I don't know why I watched it. Well, I watched it because I was like, maybe my daughter would like this. I was like, it's a little too scary for her. But mm-hmm. Home Before Dark. Oh, I started that. The, I started that last night. I saw, I watched oh. the first bit of it, but I was very tired, and I was like, "This isn't a good way to watch this." What it's seems good. to be like it's going to be a very moving, very moving show. It was really good, really good. Mm. And, I, and I get done watching it, and I, I, you know, I get up at like five a.m., so I get like a couple hours of TV time in before the wife and kid get up, and I'm watching it, and she comes out, she's like, "What are you watching?" I was like. It's, uh, I get to the end. I'm a little misty. I'm like, I can't believe this happened. It's so amazing. Uh, like, are you okay? I'm like, I just, I watched that dad struggle, and then well, it's just everything. It's a, we're gonna, we're doing science today. <laughs> it's like, all right, dad, get out your Mentos. A, yeah, please, let's blow some shit up by all means. <laughs> oh God. Um. Speaking of blowing, speaking of blowing shit up, the they're just yes. discovering they're just discovering that the blood is acid. Oh, yeah. this okay. So, uh, so one thing that I love about Alien. Well, first of all, the time that it, Alien came out in '79, and that was, it, I mean, we're always we're always in a in some form of a women's liberation movement. I feel like, but this was specifically like post a huge one. Um, I guess that's third, that's second wave. Uh, second or third wave. I don't know. I'm bad at my feminism waves. But at any rate, they made this movie. And the crazy thing about this fucking movie is in this movie, there it's a major Hollywood movie, huge blockbuster that has this. I don't this is a spicy take, but it it is a major Hollywood blockbuster that has male rape in it and has male pregnancy in it. And it really has, it makes this comment on, on society and all these in this like very subtle way about, cause this dude gets unwillingly penetrated and then impregnated by this alien crazy. Oh, yeah. And it's a major Hollywood movie. Like there's no move. There's no movie that has that happen, especially in, I mean, like in 1979, are you kidding me? Well, yeah. I mean, think about the movies that were coming around at that time. None of them were, tackling this which is interesting. I have a take I want to throw at you and throw it I want to see if it sticks yep throw it throw it at the wall all right so I used to uh majored in rhetorical analysis uh mm-hmm. college understanding the methodologies and, and uh and insights behind uh, what people are saying and how they're saying it and one of the things that we were studying and that I, I really took to heart was if you sit down and you look at every race um, and and then you look at uh, women, transgender, gay, whatever it may be, outside of single white males, if you will. Mm-hmm. You write down all the bad words you could call them, right under each category. Name and look them. at all of Name those. all of them. Well, you know, let's just, <laughs> let's just write them down. Yeah, you at home, write them down. Don't say them. Just write them down. It's very uncomfortable to write them down. And write them down. Because the point, the power of the word is this. Anything, you can say certain words to certain groups of people and certain people and certain individuals that can really bring the, that, that, that really cut like a knife. They're very hurtful. Mm-hmm. And then find an equivalent word for a single white guy. And what I mean by that is I think one of the harder parts about the movement of feminism, the harder parts about people rising up and the level of equality being the level playing field 
intrinsically comes from the fact that you're not using your native language. You are using a language that is based and built on the appreciation and understanding that this is how affluent white guys talked. And we're not going to create a word that hurts us. We're only going to create words that hurt you. And inside of those words that hurt you, we're going to make you use that language to communicate with us. And that creates divisiveness just because of the platform in which communication is built off of. Oh, that sticks. That sticks, baby. That sticks. For sure. <laughs> I also, there's also such a, I mean, bearing that in mind, there's also such a like grand irony in the fact that straight white male has basically become, has in effect taken on a meaning that would be akin to a slur. Not, it's obviously not at the, not at the level of any sort of inflammatory rhetoric that other things are. But saying, all right, yeah, you straight white man, sure, is like, oh, that's like the only way, you know, that just a basic identify, an actual identifier of yeah. a person is what's been adopted or the only thing that is that exists to be the the negative, the negative version, I guess. That and mind? it just and it and it still doesn't have that weight or that sting that other words do. And I've just, you know, and I've, I've always thought it's like, there is until that. And, and I, I, I bring that, I was talking to this guy who's, he's too smart to, you know, he's way too smart uh, to talk to me, but uh, we were, uh, we were chatting and he had a, uh, you know, we were, uh, he's a PhD in AI and knowledge graphs. And I said, Hey, the next generation, how are you keeping bias out of this? How are you how are you pushing boundaries of understanding and at the same time removing bias? Sure. And he was like, shit, I just don't know. I don't know, but we're working on it. And I was right. like, all right, well. Well, good, and good that's talk. the point with <laughs> with uh with Ash in in Alien. Ash, I think, is the dude the dude's name who's the uh who's the robot. He a lot of his, a lot of the language he uses is hyper, is uh, like hyper misogynistic, and the way he regards, especially Ripley, and I mean even by the fact that he tries to kill her by putting, by forcibly penetrating her, like he he tries to kill her by putting a magazine inside of her mouth. Who the fu- who does that? Like what is? Yeah. If he was gonna kill her, he's a fucking robot. He could like smash her neck, but instead, what he does is he does something with a phallic like thing and, and you know inserts it into her mouth to try and kill her and the way he talks about and this is the thing that doc, the documentary memory talks about like the way he speaks about ripley or the way he relates to captain dallas is all based in uh misogyny and it bring you know the fact that he is an artificial person and he was created by people to mimic and be the best approximation of what a human man is, is a, it's a staggering commentary on, on masculinity, I think. Oh, I would agree with that. And I would, I'd even go a step farther. Right. And uh, you think about like where we're at today, look at all the devices that you can yell at and scream at and say they're dumb and they don't fucking listen. Mm-hmm. They'll have women's voices. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like there's not one that has my, there's, 
there's, there's, I mean, you can play a joke around and get this with ways and get Samuel L. Jackson to give you directions. But generally speaking, I mean, the Alexa is the Siri is female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's interesting that we're still, as far as we go forward, there's areas where we've regressed even more. Totally. Well, and it's on. I mean, it's on fucking. MTA trains and people have talked about this is I'm not breaking new ground with this observation but like on MTA trains the dude it's a dude's voice who tells you to stand clear of the closing doors and it's a woman's voice who's like we're now going to this place and get prepared for this next stop you know like people respond according to the studies people respond to commands from men and reminders and suggestions from women yeah, it is. It's weird. It's a uh, communication and technology and and everything. Uh, it's you know, it's a uh, it's a it's a very weird bias that um, that we've trained our brains to respond to in certain ways. Wait, so the very smart AI man was like, "I don't we we don't know. We're trying." Did he give you any of the things that they're trying to? Did he give you any? Could he tell you any of the things that they're doing or? So yeah, there's some stuff that he's trying to replicate and fix, um, and some of it starts as basic as ones and zeros on search. So uh, there's a thing called knowledge graph, and knowledge graphs are, for a very simple example, when you start typing something into Google, and it auto completes for you. It's like, oh, Whitney, you're looking for this over here, and you're like, Google, you're so smart. Thank oh, you. You're Ooh, looking for gotcha. the film Rubber. Yeah, it's like horror film with tire and it's like rubber and you're like there you go well that's a knowledge graph but what knowledge graphs do is they actually they take the democracy out of search because then what they're doing is they're pushing you in a direction and when they can push you in a direction then they can sell advertising to push you in that direction and then they can link that direction and that push on that knowledge graph it's because it's google it's tied into your other social networks then they know how to drive you and where to connect you so then they can break you down personally and say, all right, well, Whitney searched for Thai food in Chicago, but oddly enough, she searched for, you know, uh, vegan restaurants in, uh, in New York City. So make sure that when she geolocates in New York City, that if she gets on Yelp, that vegan restaurants show up first. That's a knowledge graph, and that's understanding you at a different level, but it also removes your ability to see things. And it only gives you things that are right in front of you that you're already familiar with. So you live in a world of familiarity, even though that truly doesn't exist in the world around you. It kind of creates an artificial bubble. And, it, and democratized search on like a blockchain, which is different than ones and zeros, what it allows you to do, it's, it's still ones and zeros, but it's a, it's a different program or setup. But what it allows you to do in that is... Now you, you have the freedom to search anything and you can search it in any platform. So we're watching Alien right now and you can look at Alien and go, okay, well, so I'm watching this movie and huh, that guy's eating something. I wonder what he's eating. And I can click on the cursor and then it can be like, oh, hey, from the documentary memory, they talked about what they ate on the show. And the most popular thing they ate was hamburgers. And then it goes, all right, well, I'm in Austin, Texas. Well, in Austin, Texas, your top rated hamburger spots are dun, 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 dun. 
And because you're friends with these people, they actually recommend Casino El Camino as the best hamburger spot, even though it's never made a best hamburger spot list. And if you'd like to know where Casino El Camino is and how to get to it, here you go. And it creates a tree that is defined by your searching and inquiring mind, not by an algorithm that pushes you in a direction for advertising dollars. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> People get people. I get so many. I get emails, and they're just like, "Hey, what are you doing?" (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you have your tech podcast. You talk tech over there. I want movies and funny shit over here. And I'm like, "Listen, you calm down." I don't like it. I don't like it. (laughs) You don't like it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I feel like that. This we're not talking about the movie at all. Um, It's fine. We never do. Okay, fair. It's Uh, a fun conversation. There, I read it. I read an article again, not to brag, like like two years ago that was talking about like a homogenized aesthetic that everyone interprets as comfortable, which uh, it was like, it became prevalent because of uh, Airbnb and the affordableness of specific types of furniture to put in an Airbnb and like the low maintenance of like air plants and the the aesthetic the design aesthetic is like a huge open air space that it has white walls and wood furniture and then some mason jars and it it was like faux almost oh god what's the best way to describe it? it's and like edison bulbs do you know that like the look i'm oh, talking yeah. about so yep. like the, the way that every coffee shop looks now that every new coffee shop looks this exact same way. And also nearly that's like the Airbnb design that most people go to. Um, and it like, it, beca- it proliferated because of everyone's desire to have this feeling of home and Airbnb became overrun with that aesthetic. And so everyone started interpreting it as a comfortable aesthetic. And then other ele- like, coffee shops or then bars or restaurants took that aesthetic whether consciously or unconsciously and adopted it as well making their restaurants like more like look ultimately like made everything one one aesthetic but it all it all happened because of airbnb and people expecting this one thing that was shoved down their throats over and over again, especially in travel. Does that make sense? I talked in circles a yeah. little because I got lost in it. No, but... no, yeah, it does. Because you see it, right? I mean, I travel. I see it. I see the new coffee shops and the, the new open office concepts that are, uh, this is more like home. Mm-hmm. So you're not working from home, but you're at home. Yep. Like, no, I'm not at home. <laughs> is is there of... beer in the fridge? Nope, I'm not at home. Speaking of beer and design, in the movie right now, we are at the famous uh, the famous dinner scene where everyone's sitting around. Everything's fine. Everything seems two so things fine to notice. and alien right now. Two, two things to notice. One, there's a cat on the ship, which I don't understand why. Uh-huh. Don't. And the, and I don't the cat's understand why there's a dinner. fucking cat. The As cat's well. having dinner with them like, like cats do. Like, I've got a seat at the table for sure. And the cat's not bothered by this at all. The cat just hangs out. It's like, meow. <laughs> I got my Neomix, I'm good. And like it's a scene from MASH. There's one it's this is every 70s movie, an early 80s movie. There's one guy in a weird Hawaiian t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, 
I'm a mechanic. Okay, you don't have to wear a uniform like everyone else? No, 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 no. Astronaut, I wear a leather astronaut, jacket. Astronaut, 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 doctor, doctor, doctor. Doctor, doctor, and then the one the one super captain, he's got the awesome blue shirt on with the, with the it seems like, extra shoulder pins. Mm-hmm. Oh, so many pins. So much flair. They're covered in flair. This is like, it's, it's, it's like if they did Space Camp Day at TGIF Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love in the scene, at the beginning of the scene, how no one is having a prominent conversation. Everyone, everyone's talking. It's supernaturalistic. I mean, that's the best thing about this movie. Honestly, I feel like that's the best thing about this movie is the, the naturalism that's, that the whole insane sci-fi nature is like smashed up against you know and i'm you know people have talked about how much they love that already and i but i do i do too i love it i think it's interesting i um you instantly it is before things get crazy it is this homey feel Mm -hmm. it is you know i mean it but it's it's this it, it is what you would want friends or if you were stuck somewhere to be like, Oh, we're all grabbing our food. We're all talking. We're all just, you know, Hey, what'd you see today? There's the cat. (laughs) Fucking cats. (laughs) Are you, are you an animal person? I mean, you're on a farm, but are you Uh, an animal person? I, I am. Yeah. 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 I I definitely am. I grew up with, uh, with cows and with horses and, uh, I was raised with them. I lived in the barn with them and I <laughs> just like Jesus, yeah. it was me and Jesus in barns <laughs> hanging out. I mean, he had the Messiah. I had my grandparents, you know, it's just the way it the works. Tomato, tomato. Uh, yeah. I do. I do like animals. My right now, my father has the farm. So both my, both my grandparents have passed away. My dad lives on the farm now and he's, we just recently sold all the tillable, like, farmland surrounding it and so now we just have the we just have the farmhouse and the two barn buildings and the machine shed um and as opposed to farming cows now what uh, my father is doing is farming barn cats there are conservatively 35 barn cats that live in the barn that my always the sweetest too those are the ones you cuddle with Oh boy, there are, I there are a couple. There are a couple that are very sweet, but that's only because my father feeds them both wet food and dry food, and also cut up chicken twice a day. I want to live on your dad's farm now. Yeah, well, I mean the barn is the barn is just a litter box at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a giant. How did you get? How did he get so many cats? Um, he fed them. He fed them so well that they just. Uh, they procreated. They spawned and they spawned until they could spawn no more. But no, actually, like they are spawning more. <laughs> they're like this is in... called inbreeding. Oh okay. God! They, yeah, their ears are messed up. Their eyes are in weird places. Um, always on their heads, but like sometimes too close together. It's not good. It's not. It's not good. But you know, to... <laughs> smell my ass. It's on your face, cat. I'm seeing both right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if we could do. I wonder if we could do like a mass roundup and spay and neuter all of them. But I don't know what the what the upkeep of that is after. Like if you after like a dog gets after a dog gets spayed or neutered, they have to like wear a cone for a bit and they've got stitches. And I would imagine that it's a similar situation with the cats. And so the thought of thirty five barn cats with cones on their heads is actually. I'm now that I'm gaming it out. Sounds like a lot of fun. 
I was going to say, Andy Cohen's like, I've got a hit show on Bravo for you <laughs> right now. It's oh, going to be great. Oh, She's a comic. He owns a farm. <laughs> They're related. And they've got 35 cone cats. What could go wrong? <laughs> That's just the theme music. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> That's my. God, they don't need any more chicken. They're fine. You don't love them like I do. They do need chicken. Oh, she just doesn't understand their diet. There's talking heads of the cats in the cones. It's like that Meerkat show in Discovery, but it's cats. Yeah. Poke their heads cat, out. Cat cats. Cone cats. Yeah, I cat, like cone cats. Cone cats. Cone cats. This one's cross-eyed. This one doesn't have a tail. They both have messed up ears. How do you tell them apart? <laughs> Only Whitney knows. Cone. That one's got a yellow cone. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah, that's it's it's different. There was um when I first met my wife, she lived in this neighborhood, and the lady next to her had like thirty cats. And when it would get hot out, it gets hot here in Austin starting about now. I think like right now it's about 85 degrees and muggy outside. And it stays, you know, gets up to the the hundreds throughout July and August. And a light breeze would come through. And she's like, oh, got to close all the windows in the house. And I'm like, why? Hot cat piss smell just coming through. Just, just rolling through. Because she would just let them all out to go to the bathroom. Just you'd see like the thirty cats walking out the door. Oh God, yeah, I've never been. I've never been a cat. I enjoy. I enjoy all animals. Um, I'm a vegetarian, but I, I've never been. I I like the barn cats. I like. There's a couple of barn cats that I really like. One's named Krusty. She is just beaut. She's beautiful. She is a really sweet cat. She likes belly rubs. Into her, but the cats don't live in the like the fact. Just for for me, for me personally, this is just Whitney speaking for Whitney. I don't love the idea of a creature that sheds pooping in a box in my bathroom. You know, it just, I don't love it. I don't love the idea if, like, maybe if it didn't shed, then okay, for sure. For sure you can poop in a box and I'll deal with that. But, like, to also have to deal with the hair and, because my dog, like, the dog I have is hypo, is she's, she's uh, part uh, she's a terrier and so she doesn't shed perfect Mwah. exactly what I need I need an animal that doesn't shed and sometimes she poops inside she does I'm not gonna lie she poops inside sometimes but she doesn't shed so I can handle it do you understand the criteria upon which I am basing my animal relationships <laughs> oh yeah listen I don't I mean, the hairball gets me huh. um the the idea that uh, the reason I, I mean I'm dog person i've been around i've been with dogs my whole life i love dogs they're amazing because i like an animal that that is unselfishly loving to me no matter where i'm at in the day Mm -hmm. and i don't necessarily get that from cats right right uh they'll decide when they want to roll up to you they're like yeah pet me here okay don't pet me here i'm gonna bite your face off okay pet me here and and I, I I deal with enough emotion as it is with just dealing with CEOs and, and other people throughout the day. My basset hound is just like, huh? You're here again? Oh, I was asleep for eight hours. This is amazing. Basset hound? His name's Banjo. Oh, God, what a good name for a basset hound. 
banjo the basset. Oh god, is he so is he just so floppy? He loves he is he is uh I got him when I rescued him from a lady. There was uh six years ago there were five years ago there were floods in Bastrop. Throughout all of Austin, quite honestly. Uh there was massive flooding. And she had a farm and had uh, two basset hounds, male and female, obviously. They had babies. And uh, mm-hmm. she had moved all of her barn animals into her home. So her goats, her chickens, her pigs, everything was in her house. And she had posted that she needed to get rid of these puppies oh, that she had. And I drove across a bridge that had water going over the top of it. About a foot of water going over the top of it. Ugh. To drive up to her ranch. To, and she's like, do you want to? And I'm like, yes, I want all of them. My wife is already going to kill me bringing home one. So let's just start with one. And uh, my daughter loves him, obviously. I mean, they're two of the best buddies in the world. God. He's a, he's a cutie, and he's, um, you know, he's, he's good times. He's, oh, he's a lot of fun. Down, basset down puppies just look like uh, little, uh, little scrotums with legs. They're so still looks like, like that. Oh god, just so wrinkly and oh god, just honestly big uh, ears. You got to put um, you got to get hair ties for their ears. And you put it up. No, and you put the so that they yeah. So when they're puppies, they have sharp teeth, and you they're eating food. Um, they'll bite their ears, and then their ears can get food and get infected and all that stuff. So instead, oh god, you put you get a you get a scrunchie like an eighties scrunchie. And you put their ears up, and then they eat their food, and they don't have to worry about getting their ears dirty or biting them, and then it deters them from eating food. Oh, God, I'm liking all of the dog pictures that are on your Instagram right now. I've only found one <laughs> so far. There needs to be more. Ugh. There is, uh, yeah, Jay, Jay Jepson 74 I think is the other Instagram. Uh, that's my personal one. That has more pictures of my kid and the dog and all that oh, jazz. Oh, that's why. That's, that's why. why, yeah. That's why I was sorely lacking in the dog department yeah that there's just one on there where he's just happy to be alive he's like i'm here on a leash and it's amazing what a life <laughs> what a this what a me? life this is oh this isn't you at all this is i'm looking at jay jepson 75 and jay jepson 75 is mostly flipping off the camera he looks to be about oh 16 it says in his profile he's 16 um <laughs> <laughs> do you have a catfish account? Like, do you have a catfish account? Is that? <laughs> I, I, I like. And this is the other thing that I do. Here we go. Let's do I do a, te- I do a tech pod, do a movie pod, do just some side catfishing. Side catfishing, it's fun. What, oh, what happened to picture. the world? Oh, I found another one. Oh, just. <laughs> oh God, Banjo's got a little. He's got a little bandana on. Oh, oh yeah, you found him. Oh God. Oh, so cute. Okay. What happened in the world where we're living in catfishing? What the hell? I mean, I watch like the, the, what is it, like the 90 Day Fiance sometimes and the pre-shows to it. Sure. And sure. The, the guy hasn't met the girl yet, but he's, he's sending her money like every day. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's just, there's stuff happening. I'm just like, hold on. You're 4'11 with no neck. And that doesn't mean you don't deserve love, sir, but you're mailing this girl, you're wiring her $500 a day. She lives in the Philippines. You've never seen a picture of her, and you're going to get married to her soon? Ugh. Ugh. It's what, just, I... What world do we live in where that's, where we're lost on that? 
not a not a real one not a real well yeah i honestly i hate all social media complete i have a disdain for every social media always i've never the only reason i'm on social media is because of comedy before i started doing comedy i wasn't on any social media because i was also like i was when i was 18 when i got out of high school facebook had already be had already been moved to anyone could use it it wasn't just college kids so by the time i was 17 i had a facebook get out of high school i'm 18 i have a facebook from like 18 to 21 i had a facebook and then I was like, what am I do? I don't like, I don't, what am, I don't like any of this. I'm just doing it because I'm supposed to be doing it. And also, I don't know how to be an adult without this thing, this weird emotion, this like extra appendage that's supposed to help with emotions that and connection that really doesn't. And so I got rid of it. The day after I got rid of Facebook, my bike got stolen. <laughs> well, I was, I was living in New York and my bike got stolen and I had to feel those emotions in a way that I, my eyes were opened up to the realms of the emotions that I could feel. Cause I like had to go through it on my own. I couldn't post on Facebook. Oh, my bike got stolen sucks, you know? And it was this, it was this insane experience to actually have emotions without social media because I never, I'm 30. Um, no 31. Actually, I just had a birthday. I'm 31. And Happy birthday. I, th- thank you. Uh, and I, at that point hadn't been an adult without it. And I don't know what, I mean, are there now, no, not yet. It's probably your daughter's generation that will be, well, maybe it's the one before her that would be like, there isn't an existence without social media, right? Like even being a child without social media. I think it's probably the group before her. Um, you know, and there's, yeah, there, I mean, we are, she's, you know, we're crazy people. I don't, you know, she gets limited screen time, um, has no idea that I post videos of her right. singing about the first time. She, I did a poop. I did a poop. High <laughs> five. I mean, I, I based, she, you know, potty training is very hard for kids. And number two is the hardest one. Sure. They like hide it. They feel like they're giving something of themselves away. They don't like it. The selfish little things. And <clears throat> so I would, you know, my, my parenting genius was I called friends and I said, FaceTime me or just shoot videos and text me. Every time you're eating something like a, a, a cookie or, you know, ice cream and just tell my daughter, I just took a poop. I get a treat and then call it poop wars. Oh, <laughs> So, I mean, <laughs> my daughter's social interaction was watching my friends eat candy bars and go, I just took a poop, so I got this candy bar. Poop wars, back to you, Harper. No. Oh. <laughs> so it becomes this thing with the, you know, where she's not on social, but she's on social. Yeah. At the same time, like, I let her engage with, friends and family on FaceTime and uh, the ele- the Echo um, where she can call grandma and grandpa up and she has a very good friendship with a dog named Handsome James Ferdinand oh, God. who has one of the best stories uh, in the history of dogs. So James was a bait dog. Don't Google it. Do oh, not look it up. God. Dogs that don't fight, that are pit bulls or blue noses, um, 
that don't fight, they are then chained up and the other dogs attack them. So they learn how to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy uh, rescued him. He was like 45 pounds, skin and bones. Uh, if he heard a man's voice, he would just pee. Um, and uh, he was the worst of the worst. They were going to have to put him down. They just He couldn't engage or uh, be around anyone. And my buddy Regan took him. And uh, for the first two days, the dog was always six feet away from Regan. Regan moved, the dog moved. And then one night, he goes, I heard him just put out this sigh. It's this huge sigh. And he knew, James knew he was home. Six months later, the dog's fur is coming back. You know, he's um, training the dog. The dog's getting great. Every time I go to L.A., there's only a couple places I really can stay because I have friends there, and they get mad if I get a hotel. Regan's is one of them. And I kick open his door. I've got a key to his apartment. I kick open his door. Who's got booze and dog treats? This guy. And he's like, no. Like, this is going to freak this dog out. But I have no idea. Like, I don't know the backstory. I just know he rescued another dog. And he's always rescuing dogs. Right. So every time I go to his house, I bring champagne. It is. It's like like he's a reporter. He's like, this is my thing. This is, you know, this is how I, this is my good karma. God, what an asshole. And, you know. I know. I'm like, you're such a dick. So I, I always bring champagne so we can have mimosas in the morning together because that's what two gentlemen do. Mimosas and coffee every morning. Yeah, of course. Then, you're not heathens. Not savages. Listen, you may we're be men, mimosas. but you're not heathens, okay? That's right. We've got, a, we've, already, we've got our visible flaws. However, mimosas in the morning, first thing, let's get this party started. And I always bring dog treats because I don't know. I always go to get natural dog treats. I don't know what ailments they have or what's going on, but the clean, natural ones, there you go. And I flop down. I'm like, where is this amazing dog? Get over here. I got dog treats. And he's just, his face is pale. And I'm like, uh, what did I do? And James comes around the corner and jumps in my lap. And now he's like 80 pounds. Oh. And Regan's like, oh, dude, this dog pisses when he hears a man's voice i'm like oh. not with me he doesn't ha 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 open a bottle of champagne here's a dog treat and <laughs> <laughs> now james has been trained so much he's the first ever pit bull that's a certified therapy dog for the la children's hospital oh god and this dog four times a week tours the worst of the worst cases where you can have interaction at the children's hospital and brightens their day the dog that was so destroyed by people that when he heard a man's voice would pee has such a big heart and such a big soul and such an amazing mindset. Forgiven all and now helps rehabilitate kids who are at the worst or at, or at, or at the worst of parts of their lives. Boring. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Scratchy the cat. So yeah. we've got yeah. That's very yeah. cool. It's, but it is what makes, that's why we love animals, I think, right? I mean, they, they, they have what we want. And one of those things that we want is, we talk about, and I tell my kid this all the time, like, hey, you know, you got to forgive and forget. Well, who really does that? Mm-hmm. Your dog. Right? Um, yeah, it's you know it's 
it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. It's a, it's a beautiful representation of unconditional love in a home that should be seen. Not that everyone should have a dog uh, or, or everyone should have a cat. For sure, don't have a monkey because when they don't like you, they rip your genitals off and bite your fingers off. So you can't reproduce and you can't feed yourself. <laughs> have science. you seen the movie called Tiger King? Um. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's, that's Alien 2.0. This is, this is Alien in real life on planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> this asshole's like, I've got a spaceship. I call it a zoo, but it's my spaceship. <laughs> this one, uh, this pot, this episode of the podcast shouldn't be called uh, Alien. It should be called We Tell Cute Dog Stories. Because here's my cute dog, the story about my dog. So get it. My my girlfriend and I at the time, we were having a our relationship was going south, and we decided that a great idea would be to get a dog to fix our relationship because nothing brings two people together like the responsibility of keeping something alive. And we got it and we kept ukulele, my dog. We got her and we, the place we lived, we lived in this small carriage house and a rule was you aren't allowed to have animals, but we got the dog because we are, we're idiots. We got her, loved her. We had her for about a year and then the landlord found out, no, it was like six months and the landlord found out that we had a dog and she was like, you have to get rid of the dog. Can't have a dog in here. The end. Oh, shit. And so I drove the dog. We knew that we were already planning to move back in with my folks, but our lease wasn't up yet. And so I drove from New Jersey to my hometown in central Illinois and left my dog. I left ukulele with my mom. My mom has hated animals all of her life. Not hated them, but she'd never wanted an animal. She wouldn't let me get animals. I had a hamster when I was growing up uh, that I eventually just kind of forgot to feed. And then my mother let the hamster starve. <laughs> so like not she had she wasn't an animal person she was like you need to learn i I assume she was thinking she needs to learn a lesson but really all that happened is a tiny uh rodent got murdered um and don't call don't call anyone we're really good with animals now my mom is uh because she fell in love with my dog she was willing to take one for the team and like take care of the dog for me for a couple months before we would move back and her and ukulele got along. They fell in love. She would take her over to my grandma's house. My grandma, who was attacked by a dog when she was little and has been terrified of dogs all 86 years she's been on the planet, she fell in love with ukulele, would like feed her by hand, and slowly but surely they became best friends. And then my mom started sp- – my dad and my mom have been divorced since I was six – my dad fell in love with ukulele, and my mom and dad started splitting custody of ukulele to an extent that was uh, actually a bit infuriating to me because they split better custody of the dog than they did of me when I was a child. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, like, the dog didn't have to deal with any, you know, passive aggressive, aggressive like, jabs at either of them from the other. But um, now my mom and my dad are best friends. They've been best friends for around five years going on half a decade now that they've been like super tight and they go over to each other's house all the time where me and me and mom and grandma are gonna go out to the farm tonight because grandma goes out there on tuesdays and thursdays and we all have dinner together it's like this one little dog this one yappy sweetheart of a dog that now just it's now my parent it's honestly my parents dog at this point because they are so crazy about her and i she's got the farm to run around on and she's got a bunch of yards that she can play in. So like, I don't feel good taking her up to Chicago. I didn't bring her up when I moved. Cause I was like, this isn't fair to her to move into an apartment. Like that's 
awful. So she's essentially my parents' dog. My parents' dog now. But this little little seven, well, she was seven pounds, and then now she's uh, twelve pounds because they give her so many treats. But <laughs> like this, mom, dad, you almost doubled the weight, by the way. Just FYI. Oh, completely. Right? They totally have. And like her, her, an okay weight for her to be at is nine. And we took her to the vet right around when I got when I came back here for quarantine. We took her to the vet, and the vet was like, "You, uh, boy, she, yeah, she's gonna have knee problems." <laughs> because <laughs> she's so big <laughs> and she doesn't look fat she looks fluffy because she hasn't had a haircut in a while because of quarantine but this little dog brought him brought him together and like recreated my weird family wow i like that that's awesome yeah yeah she's that is training. awesome she does a so- lot of tricks she's very smart about tricks but also she tries to bark and eat light so i don't know that she's that smart you know Tries to bark and eat light? Yeah. Like if you shine a flashlight on the ground? Oh, insane. She hates it. She hates her big, the biggest thing that bugs her is when a light comes in from a window and reflects off a surface and it casts like a light on the ceiling. Oh God, she loses her fucking mind. So you couldn't take her to a discotheque? Oh no, 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 no. Well, actually, uh, actually, you know, I say that, but if they're if the Bee Gees are playing, she, uh, she, she gets down and gets funky. So maybe, maybe she might be able to handle it. <laughs> it's a huge B fifty two fan. Is that disco? Huge B fifty. My, uh, we got my daughter. Well, we didn't. Regan, uh, the owner, handsome James Ferdinand. I should say that he got her a disco ball. Ah. And uh, yeah, that is. Um, Every night, Dad, can you position the flashlight again? Uh, okay. Spin it slower. <laughs> That's too fast. That's too slow. Do you just want to stay up five more minutes? Because I can't play this game any longer. Bedtime. <laughs> okay, like, bedtime. Yeah. okay, bedtime. Okay, bedtime. Okay, now it's time. I'm like, all right, perfect. Thanks. This is fantastic. <laughs> Good Lord. Dogs and kids, man. They are... Uh, now, do you want to have kids one day? I I don't know. My mom and I were having this conversation uh, last night, actually. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel... In my life, I've gone through stages. I'm an aunt. My, my little sister has a kid, and uh, the kid's name is Hudson, and Hudson is, like, two-ish now. And um, I dig, I dig the, relation, the relationship with Hudson, Hudson's very fun. I, I've in my life I've gone through phases of being like, oh, you know, I could, I, you know, I could handle, I could handle like a newborn, but I would never, I would never want a toddler. And then a couple of years later, <laughs> would be like, oh, you know, I could handle a newborn and a toddler, but I wouldn't want like, I wouldn't want like a like a six year old. Are you kidding me? What a nightmare! And then a little later, I'd be like, oh, you know, maybe I, you know, I I could handle like a newborn or a toddler or a six year old. But not a oh god, not a, a preteen. Are you kidding me? And that's kind of where I've stopped. The thought of the thought of having a preteen has been uh, has been a big deterrent for me to ever fantasize about the idea of having a kid. Just because, oh boy, they, it's just like they're not. You know, you know that. I mean, I don't know if you know. Maybe listen. I'll educate you. Kids aren't pets. Did you know that? Um, kids. No, you. They are one hundred percent. How dare you? They are pet. They're awesome, fun little pets. And um, when you don't like them, you just send them to a room, and that's called parenting. 
and then you just they, they think about what they've done wrong because <laughs> as a parent you do not you do nothing wrong this is how the system works and <laughs> oh oh my god they just knocked off uh what's his face they just knocked off ash's head uh yeah wow. that's, there's a lot of there's a lot of white stuff all over ash oh boy the stuff is blood i don't know what the, the milk. milk budget was on this but boy oh, oh wow I'm That's a thick milk too. Is it like a whole milk? Maybe a buttermilk? Ugh, it's got I think smell it, it could be a heavy cream. It could be a heavy cream. A heavy cream? Maybe some whole goat's milk. <laughs> oh, you God. find out. By the way, the pandemic has taught the pandemic has taught Trader Joe's one thing. It's taught them to stop buying some weird cheese shit. Because I can go to Trader Joe's and they'll be out of pepperoni and every cheese, but they're like, we have goat milk. Swiss cheese, goat. It's I'm like with 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 a with a sardine rim. I'm like, well, you guys, Oof. do you go to your buyer and too go? Too much. No one's touched this. This aisle is still full. This section, no one. And people are just going without cheese now. Listen, I don't know though. Maybe it's a situation of they like have to buy it because I know like they have to get that cheese to get the normal Swiss. Like I knew, uh, I knew a comedy club booker who had to book Carlos Mencia because whoever his agency was was like, we're not going to let you book these other comedians who are really good and people actually like. You have to book Carlos unless you book Carlos Mencia, and so he had to book no. Carlos Mencia. <laughs> Did the other people know they're like Carlos is going to take one of our jokes at least? <laughs> Oh yeah, there was uh there I have some friends who work that club regularly and he went there was a conversation that they were having in the parking lot and Carlos Mencia went right up on stage and uh said a joke from the parking lot that someone else that my friend had said. Good lord. Yeah, he didn't even wait until he was in a different city. He just did it it to nearly to his to my friend's face. He's like this is called a flex. Let me show you how this is done. This is grand theft of your of your of your private equity. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it and I'm going to show you how you would not have delivered it the same way. I'm going to make it my own, and then if you try to say this, everyone's going to think you stole it. <laughs> right listen, in your listen, face. Listen, listen. Do people say that Alec Baldwin stole from David Mamet? No, he was just performing the words that were written. Glad you know you <laughs> coffee is for closers. He didn't steal that from Mamet, you know. <laughs> Comedy's a crazy. I have a question for you, and I, this is I, I asked my friend who is as a you might know her, Jesse May Palusa. No, Jesse May Palusa. She's a comedian in Los Angeles, California. Yay! I but here's the crazy: we can you can listen to the Bee Gees. And in fact, there are BG cover bands. Oh, sure. Right? They're in Vegas. In fact, they're I'm in, in one. Chicago. We're the GBs. <laughs> the GBs. The GBs and the GBs. The GBs and the GBs. It's a little more dance and funk, <laughs> but it's the songs. <laughs> Why can't uh, there's there's no one going around doing George Carlin bits? Right. Well, unless they're doing what is it, it unless they're doing it as George Carlin. Unless yeah, but doing what like, is it a, about in, that? Like you've got Little Kiss. Right, little people that are dressed as Kiss, k- killing it. But For there's sure. not little Joe Rogan going around doing, you know, strange times. So I, you know, I'm wondering what is it innate and special about comedy? Because we we put music in this hierarchy of like, oh, and it's up there, and it's so amazing, and it, it touches your soul in a way. But I don't think we do that enough with comedy, 
because comedy can't be replicated that way. Right. But music can. Why is that? Right. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the thing that I'm struggling with uh, in this quarantine. Cause there's a lot of people who are, um, there's a lot of people who are doing like, zoom shows and doing like they're doing their sets but they're just doing it in front of a camera to like a screen audience of people and they're and the people are nailing it people are very good at it and people are very funny people are very good at it and even not so funny people some are good at it it's all you know it's it's been an interesting it's been an interesting shakeout of what the the quote industry looks like right now but i i know that i'm just not built for it. I've tried to do stuff uh, that I've tried to do like live stream comedy stuff. And I just, I don't, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. It doesn't feel good to me. Like I can't figure out how to make it feel like something because I, the stuff I do is all, it's like, it's long form. So it's longer stories, like, stitched together in ways and like callbacks and stuff like that. I'm not much of like a joke, 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 joke kind of person. You know, I'm not like a, how I'm not an observational comic. Um, Mm -hmm. And even, even it feels like that would lend itself to doing like a live stream thing. It's like, here, I'm going to do this one. It's like a, it's an eight, it's my, it's an eight minute story. And it's got like all the, all the punchlines. I'll just do it like how I do it on stage. But I can't, I haven't been able to figure out how to do it or do it in a way that feels good because it all just feels like, uh, I want to be, I need to be able to hear you and be like, okay, I'll lean into this part of it. Or it feels like a dance, like being on stage feels like a, like you're dancing with the audience, you know? Mm-hmm. And like the feedback that you get pulls you in a different, in like a certain direction and has you lean into certain stuff and back off of other things and sidestep or like cuts, st- you know? I don't know. I I just I can't figure out how to do the how to do the stand in front of a stand in front of a camera and monologue, I guess. But that's also that's a good thing, right? I mean, and I, and I mean that in the fact that you understand and know that, so you're not you're not hurting your comedy by forcing yourself to do something that's not something you're comfortable with where people are like, "Oh, I thought she was more this way." And then, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it, you don't, I mean, I, I, as a brand person, right, I always think, man, you don't want to, and I hate to say this about a person, but you don't want to tarnish your brand or your image or who you are just because you want to get your voice out there. Right. Right. And so there's, you know, I mean, and, and long form, I don't know, I'm a big fan of the long form joke and the story that ties back to another story that wraps around into another one mm-hmm. that unveils into this closing epic story. I mean, those are... Because you go on a journey with someone. You got to go on a journey with them and you get to learn about them. Right. And joke, jokes are funny. And I like jokes. And I like people who are witty with jokes, uh, you know, uh, uh, who are good at Twitter and can put out a real quick, you know, snapshot. I think you're like OJ allegedly typed out, you know, Carol Baskin killed her husband. And <laughs> the first comment was a comic who just put down, finally an expert weighed in on this topic. And I was yeah. like, that's fun. Right. But that's their lane and that's perfect. Mm-hmm. And you're going to make money, you know, being snarky on Twitter and that's fantastic. But then again, I mean, I think those are, you know, the, it's, that's the beautiful thing about comedy though, too, is when this ends, when all of this ends, 
The world. There is, yeah, the world. When we when we hit reset, when the when the guy who's running the computer program decides to start Sim Earth Two. Right. You know, there's going to be a pause where economically, I think people are going to have to get their jobs and get a couple weeks under their belt. And I hope that um, big and small comics alike, everyone from the the people starting out to um, the Dave Chappelle's of the world, I hope they bring ticket prices down so that people can go out and laugh. Mm -hmm. That they're that they're a part that that they get those stories because the storytellers are especially you know from what i'm seeing the storytellers are the ones that are finding the most success these days because it's more than a joke i get to know a little more about you yeah i mean and that's what's always drawn me to to any to any artist i mean and that god that sounds so fucking oh god to any to anyone doing anything <laughs> is like just a I'm drawn to uh the people, you know, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Who fucking knows? I don't know what I'm I don't have an idea what I'm talking about. Sigourney Weaver's trying to self destruct the ship. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know, she's like, I'm I listen. Uh you guys, you've got the pandemic. I'm gonna end the pandemic. Here we go. I'm gonna self destruct. Everything's what is, gonna be perfect. Do you um uh, Everything's going to be good. Uh, she hit the cat in a box, which I think was very... She's like, listen, you're used to this shit. Get in a box. You'll be fine. You're going to come out angry as fuck. <laughs> Get in a box. You're going to be good. Box. It's a cat box. Cat box. Don't it's poop in here. Cone it's cats. Cone cats and cat box. There used to be a... Um, my buddy sent me a message. He goes, if you want to find out who loves you more, your dog or your wife, lock them both in the trunk for an hour and see what happens when you open the trunk. Jesus. Your dog's going to be like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe what happened. I'm so excited to see you. Your wife's going to kill you. <laughs> and rightfully so, because you were trying to commit. And rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, well, there's that aspect that he, it's not a well thought out plan by him. Yeah. I just know it. But, you know, he's, he's trying. He's putting out efforts. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Random questions for you here. Yep. Uh, we got we got like twenty minutes before before the movie comes out. Uh, do you think in any way we live in a simulation, or is this just biology? And biology is just is is so weird that if we don't call it a simulation, or we don't call it religion, or we don't call it this or that, then we just can't wrap our heads around. I mean, people are like, "Oh, unicorns never existed," but if I explained a giraffe to you and you'd never seen one you would call me a liar. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And in fact, you can show some people the bones of dinosaurs and they'll still say you're a liar. Well, if listen, I, Jesus didn't ride one. I'm not believing it. <laughs> right? Probably just a big mule. If white Jesus didn't ride. <laughs> That's important. Important. I'm glad you pointed that out. Very important. <laughs> I don't think... I... I don't think this is a simulation. I do. I, there is something, uh, I listen. So I've read some Nietzsche, I'll be honest. And I feel like what everyone gets wrong about nihilism and about, uh, about Nietzsche's philosophy, uh, is that nothing matters. Yes. Okay. Nothing matters. But the fact that nothing matters means that we get to attach meaning to everything, that we have the power to do that. And isn't that great? Isn't that so great that we have the options 
of attaching meaning to things like and have them be important and i think that the idea of living in a simulation is just the the binary way of regurgitating like a nihilistic philosophy of nothing matters because this is all fake anyway and it's all a simulation and it's like well i don't know like i don't think you're i don't think you're getting i don't think you're understanding nihilism does that make sense absolutely no that makes sense yeah yeah that makes sense um i think it is a uh you know i i, I don't believe that we, we I, i'm with you i don't believe within a simulation i i think that we have a, a limited scope and we want to rationalize everything or the things around us, or we want to, I think we, we, we try to overreach. It's funny. We will go explore or want to explore space to the nth degree and figure out how to live on Mars, but we won't figure out how to properly live on this planet first. Yeah. We're just trying to find another planet to destroy. (laughs) (laughs) We are just, listen, this is over. Let's leave. Let's get out of here. And I'm like, we don't, everything for us is, it's not about taking care of what we have or what we want as much as where we can go next. You know, we, how much do we understand of the human brain? What do we understand about the ocean? What do we understand about the rainforest? Shit. What do we understand about the desert other than it's dry? There's, there's so much that we don't understand and people just throw their hands up and they're like, yeah, but if we rebuild everything on Mars, we'll understand everything. Right. Except for the history of Mars. Which, which honestly, I think brings us back to Alien very well, because the whole idea is that the Z, I mean, if you look at our current situation, we are, we are Sigourney Weaver on the spacecraft and the coronavirus, the COVID-19 is the xenomorph in that it is nature. It is this like very visceral nature thing that's killing us but it's because we fuck we fucked with it like if we would have just not if we would have just like maybe quit i i don't know moving everywhere if we didn't live everywhere that is possible to live in like maybe we wouldn't be you know this all it's honestly it's this is our fault <laughs> like anyone who thinks that covid-19 isn't the human race's own fault is uh part of the problem <laughs> Yeah, right. And it's also, it's one of those things where people are like, uh, it's not our fault. It's from animals. Well, how did you treat the animals? Like you're, you're eating raw bat in a, in a wet market. It's just, we're, we're creating an environment for virus and disease because we don't want to create an environment of respect. Right. It's a weird thing. Well, and if you and then if you even trace the like wet market aspect back a little bit, the reason that wet markets ex- exist is because it's the most, it's like it's a financially easy, like it's a financially viable way for people to get meat in an affordable way in a very overpopulated place, in a place that has a that has you know just as probably I don't know what the poverty percentage is in like in Wuhan or in any of the places that have prevalent wet markets but i would imagine that it's a comparable impoverished rate to america and it's having a wet market is an affordable way to a make money like to have the animals and to be able to just blah 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 blah, cut them up sell them and then to buy them it's cheaper but the reason that covid19 doesn't come like it's it's not that oh people people who have 
people who like do wet markets are are idiots or anything like that. It's the reason that they exist is because they have to because of the overpopulation and specifically COVID-19 came from fucking Pangalorians. Pangalorians, a Pangalorian that was in a Pangalorian and a bat, they got together infected and that created like, and the only people who can afford Pangalorian meat or anything are the uber wealthy are the fucking uber. So it's all, this is all a problem. It was created because of the demand of Pangalorians by the uber wealthy. And it's just the fucking billionaires that are coming in and they are just, they're trying to kill us all. <laughs> it is, there is a, uh, there's, I think there is a, a, a very real disconnect between and and part of this is you know I think it's two I think one part is is the nationalism that all countries have like ours is best this is worst whatever it may be right mm -hmm. a and then b the the dreams that people aspire to do not do not align with the planet and the people and well being. You know, uh, sure. the idea of, I think the idea of Amazon and getting things to people rapidly and, and having small businesses leverage your platform to sell stuff, I think the idea, the concept is good. The treatment of people that work there and the idea that someone, and I'm not, I'm never against someone making money, but I'm cautious about how they treat people when they get there. Mm -hmm. You're worth $160 billion. Sir, good for you. You have done something. You've created what some might consider a I can't live without technology platform. And good for you, sir. However, the way your workers are treated and what goes on is deplorable. Completely. And I'm not mad that you made your money at all. I am mad in the what you're doing now that you've made that money mm -hmm. you know it's i mean marriott hotels during this time right they uh they famously they cut people's hours to zero. Zero, zero hours so they can't file for unemployment and they're not a covid19 uh they're not in that basket of being laid off so they keep their unemployment insurance very low Mm -hmm. But these people just don't have hours to work. And if they quit, they don't get unemployment. Uh -huh. Well, you know, you have to and talk so, to about that. Uh, what was his name? No, big, I got to talk to big time. Big time. Big time. Got to get out, get out old big time. But then I look and I go, all right, well, I just won't stay at one of those hotels ever again. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a friend of mine. And he goes, that's great. He goes, but Jason, as a culture, as a, as a movement of people, we've never been taught how to properly boycott something. We've never been taught... Because the, the, the push comes back, you know, well, Whole Foods has really good vegetables. Yeah, but Whole Foods won't give people extra sick time. And in fact, they'll tell you, if I have more sick time and you're out, you have to ask me for my sick time first. Yeah. So, but it's like, well, if you hurt Whole Foods, then what about all those workers? What about all those farmers? And I would argue you take those ideals to... A, a more morally practicing company mm -hmm. that um, that embraces people and loves people for for their faults and their strengths, and not for their strength of their back and what they can move so that gold gets loaded into the truck. 
And I, you know, I never want to spend someone else's money. My boss, he always makes fun of me. He's like, dude, you travel, you fly Southwest, you stay at average hotels. I go, yeah, but if you died tomorrow, I can afford this. Yeah. If you died tomorrow, and my expect check, you know, I turn my expenses in, and like, dude, the company shut down. John's dead. Guess what? I can afford this. I can take the $200 hit. And he's like, oh, I'm like, I'm not here to spend your money. And I think, you know, the, I think the disconnect is probably that some people, they come out, right, and they want to spend the billionaire's money and take it. And I don't, but I want to know the moral compass of where they're at so that I don't support them any longer or that they're awoken to the fact that they're horrible pieces of shit and they need to change. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's admirable. I think uh, I think that's incredible because I absolutely would uh, fly JetBlue everywhere. Um, or I don't know. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> I'm so poor. I can't even think of like a like a like a good good like a good airline. <laughs> like Allegiant, real nice, sixty nine dollars yeah, anywhere. Fancy, like Frontier, you know. <laughs> oh, can Frontier's you great. Can they you give you the napkin. <laughs> Like, oh, by the way, this is also an eye shade. I'm like, all right, you know what? You're you're reaching a little bit on how poor I am, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it says something about the last flight I was on was a Frontier flight, and it says something about the about the state of the state of the economy, not the state of the but the state the disparate the disparity the disparate what's the fucking word the dis disparity the discrepancy there it is disparity no, the disparity in wealth that's a word right disparity. Uh, yep. in wealth when I was flying Frontier and I was talking to one of the flight attendants and she was telling me that Frontier's been around for a very long time. I was like, what? She was like, yeah, it just got really popular recently because it's like really cheap. Like, that's insane that Frontier has existed for that long, but no one's been flying it because no one has really had to, but then everybody's just getting poorer and poorer. <laughs> and they're like, well, I guess we'll fly Frontier now. Yeah, uh, uh, so Frontier used to be somewhat expensive. It used to be a middle-tier airline. Oh. Uh, it was comparable to, back in the day, Alaska Airlines. You'd get free beer on it, uh, a free cocktail, depending on how many hours you're in the air, uh, free Cokes, everything. Great food options, the whole, the whole thing. And they weren't uh, making the revenue that they thought they deserved to make. And so they became a low-cost leader airline. Um, and then Allegiant came along and said, hold, hold, hold my beer. I've got this, you know, I'll fly somewhere. I'll fly to all the gambling cities for $29. And then Spirit was like, but what about me? Yeah. Spirit's like, I can give you this and coronavirus. So <laughs> climb aboard. Come on, kids. Don't be afraid. We don't clean these planes. You do. Huh? Yeah. That's why it's $29. Now here's a spray bottle. Wipe your seat down. Get to work. Get to work. Vacuum it up a little bit. Come on now. Did you fill out your 1099? I'm I'm a pa- I'm no, I'm in 9D. Oh, Got to fill out your 1099. <laughs> did you did you do uh can you do our taxes for us while we're on the flight? It's a 3-hour flight. Did you pitch in for I gas use... money? <laughs> can I huh? use uh, the quick the free free quicken? No, 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 no. We need you to do do paid turbo tax. <laughs> oh. Got to do the paid. We did uh there used to be a um as a, as I mentioned, a, a formerly a very very large gentleman, uh, I used to fly this small regional out of uh, Northwestern uh, Pacific Pacific Northwest, 
and they would ask you your weight before you got on the plane. And I was like, if it's that big of a deal, I mean, I'll wait, <laughs> right? Well, I'll yeah. just, I'll catch the next one. It's fine. Can I just, can I just <laughs> hail like, another one? What's the, what's the policy? Here? There's, there's eight people on it. You know, it's, it's, or it was, I think the plane held like 22 people. And, um, Oof. you know, Oof. you couldn't stand up all the way when you got in, you know, beverage service was then passing stuff back to you. Right. You know, no, no, that's not yours. Pass no, it back. no. <laughs> Keep going, going. They want the water back there. You're going to get a water. I know you've got the water in your hand now, but you've got to keep it moving back. <laughs> okay. We're going to make sure everyone's on board. Okay. You start. We're going to count off. You go one, two. Yep. Okay. You're not, no, you're three. Say three, three. Okay. It is. It was that bad. And it was every time propellers just firing up. I'm like, are we really still with propellers? <laughs> okay. Well, this will be fun. <laughs> What is this fucking Chippendale Rescue Rangers? Jesus! Oh yeah, so it's like, can I, can I, can I, can I ride on the wing? Like you know they do in the in the old timey movies. Tailspin. That'd be fun. Yeah, just let's get going. Let's have some fun here. Oh, speaking no, it's, of uh, speaking of going on a going on a, a small aircraft, uh, we just found the xenomorph. The xenomorph came with our. The xenomorph yes. came with Ripley. Oh, now it's going back in through the. Ah, oh, she burned it up. She just burned it up. She's alien. getting rid of it. Get out of here, you alien! Who knew that this uh, that this uh, alien murder plot device would be uh, so lucrative in in killing so many aliens throughout this franchise? Just so many, and it's gonna... it, the, this franchise. The way it survived is is pretty epic. Yeah, uh, I can't. For, I... For... I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, it's no. I was just say it's. I mean, I can't believe how long it's lasted. Yeah, how did you feel about the other? How did you feel about like Prometheus? I mean, it was okay. Mm-hmm. I just, I'll tell you, I think it's hard when, and not to blow sunshine, but Sigourney Weaver, she crushed it on this. Oh, God, yeah. And then forcing it, them to like actually pay her a good wage for the second one. Brilliant. Such a badass. <laughs> Such a, she's like, uh, no. And who else are you going to get? I mean, who else during that time was a badass lady that was acting? You've got Sigourney Weaver, mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. Um, the end. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I'm kind of out. You're not Brent Heather Locklear on that ship, and anyone's believing it. <laughs> you know? I mean, Dolly Parton, hell of a lady, not doing that. Oh, right? God. Dolly Parton. Dolly, has Dolly Parton ever gone to space in anything? Dolly. Probably on Hee Pardon. I'm sure on Hee Haw she went to space. In space. Oh, come on. Hee Haw in space. I bet if we Google Hee Haw, which is one of the all-time worst television shows. Oh, of course. Hee Haw in Spanish came right up. Oh. Um, that's hilarious. She they is, did a, uh, unlike, in 1996, Unlikely Angel, she's posing among the stars. Angel. I don't know. I mean, that's a. That's there was the one movie in the seventies of a uh, uh, lady. Lady was the lead character in space. Um, they had some brief nudity, so it was rated R. <gasps> Remember, I was not allowed to see it. Oh, that's uh, Xanadu. Uh, what it was? Xanadu with uh, with Olivia Newton-John. Yep. 
the roller skating one where she's a Greek, a Greek guy <laughs> or a muse. She's a muse. That's what she muse. Mm-hmm. That's right. That was a Broadway. That was a very fun where they did that on Broadway for a while. It was a very fun show. Oh, you put a yeah, lady astronaut floating in space movie. Boom. We've got gravity. The first woman in space. Gravity. Xanadu is roller skating. Are you sure you're Xanadu's Xanadu? roller skating? But that had personal uh, nudity. That, uh, I believe so. Yes. And wait, wait, you know what? I was so you know this podcast movies obviously taking place uh, sometimes a- attached to sometimes not, but I was looking at some of the movies that I grew up in, born in the early seventies, forty mm-hmm. forty five, almost forty six years old, and um, I can't like the the movies that were around. When I was growing up, the comedies, I can't do. Oh, boy. Oh, God, no. Yeah, what are you going to do? Revenge Zapped. of the Nerds? Revenge of the Nerds? Zapped? Any of the porkies? Um, I mean, they were awful, mm-hmm. awful films. Horrible. And also, Horrible. not just, like, content-wise, but also just just horribly made, too. Like, the oh, quality yeah. of... The, like the quality of just shot, just lighting alone was awful in all of them. <laughs> just, was like, let's not get past the horrible storyline and all the, all the, the, the God, rape and murder. Can we have anything apart from a giant key light right on our faces? Like, come on, people. The just sweating. <laughs> just uncomfortable. Ugh. Boy, howdy. Well, hey, uh, I always like to leave things on a, on a positive, fun note. So, so, so two things. Mm-hmm. One, um, if uh, when this ends, you get a blank check, you can go anywhere where you want to go. Um, I want to go to to Venice, Italy, because it's gonna sink soon, or it's gonna be underwater. So I want to, I want to. And the water's place. clean right now. Yeah. Get there with the water. They're like, there's fish in this water. Ugh. People are freaking out. Oh, like, yeah, it's so the water. <laughs> that uh, I would there or uh, or Mars. You know, got to go to Mars to start colonizing it. So one or the other. <laughs> You and Elon Musk just be like, we'll, we'll go hang out. Yeah. There's a, there's a, oh, there's God. a lady that would here. be, that would be a fate worse than a COVID-19 death is being forced <laughs> to repopulate Mars with Elon Musk. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What is Grimes doing? That is, that's some technical sex. <laughs> I just, I feel bad for him. Sorry, Elon. There's a reason you're yeah. He'd be like this. It's great. This condom will not break. And it, it he th- tries to throw a baseball. He has a professional league, uh, MLB, baseball player throw a baseball at it and it shatters yeah and he just looks at it, he's like hey listen you guys just want to say how it works it's gonna be good this is the right time the moment's perfect i'm glad we're done thank you very much <laughs> let's try again we'll try again we'll throw another baseball uh, at the other window <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking idiot and the selling point of it is you can park your dirt bike in the back of it get the fuck out of here what are you <laughs> looks yeah it's just it's like, hey, do you do you want the license plate that says asshole? Because I've got the car for you. It used to be a Hummer. <laughs> do you already, more. Yeah. Do you already have the license plate, but nothing to put it on? <laughs> well, don't you worry. I've got the all of it covered. <laughs> uh, and then uh, finally, where um, where's the the one place if you could perform anywhere? Where would you like to perform your stand up at? Let's put it out there. Oh man. Um, if I could perform anywhere, I, so last year 
2019, I opened for uh, a very funny comedian. I opened for them at this place called Talia Hall in Chicago. Cool. And um, Talia Hall is just this, like, it's a, it's an older venue. It's like it's a rock venue that's been around for forever. It's questionable. That, uh, there's some, like, questionable neighborhood things. Like, they have kind of forced a gentrification on this neighborhood in a way that's disconcerting. However, the venue itself, the venue itself, I love there's this balcony that wraps all the way around that has super old timey like bench seating. Um, and it, the whole staff there was super great and really nice and kind. And I would love to go back there. People there, were, people, it was just great. It was a really good experience. I would love to go back and do an hour there. I think that'd be a really fun thing to do. Cause my, my goal used to be do an hour at uh, this jazz club in chicago called the green mill and that was where i recorded my album so it's like this is i've been pretty lucky i've been pretty lucky with my with my dreams so nice nice i like that um no that's uh i like that and you know it's uh, the last thing i'll say is uh before my daughter sings about the first time she took a poop um is we will we'll make and we'll lose money will go buy things and they'll go go away they'll come back into fashion whatever it may be things a lot of things come and go everything does except for time it's the one thing that we never get back and i uh so i'm greatly appreciative uh for the the two hours you uh you've chosen to uh spend with me in in talking it is it has been uh very insightful and entertaining and and all all of the above but most importantly and very seriously I, i'm very honored that you took the time uh, to, to spend with me. So, so thank, thank you very, very much. Oh my gosh. It was 1000% my pleasure. Well, you're very kind. And I look forward to hopefully one day you coming and performing in Austin, Texas. we got a couple of comedy clubs here. Hell we'll yeah. Well, we'll I was see. just there. We, we missed each other. I was just, I was yeah, just I at right. Cold Town. That's right. Well, well, we'll figure something out. Sometimes oh, in yeah. Chicago. I don't know. We'll stay in touch. Please. But my Please friend... Do. Thank you very much, Whitney. You're the best. I really do appreciate it, and uh, have a have a wonderful uh, have a wonderful extended weekend. Thanks. You too. <laughs> Isn't that you better than too. COVID? That is much better. <laughs> That's a much better way to look at it. You look at you, Pollyanna. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. Thank you All very right. much. Bye bye. Bye bye.